welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Schell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. When the Lord took me to Tempe, Arizona, I didn't know a living soul in the state of Arizona. I had heard that Barry Goldwater was the, was the senator. And that was as much as I knew about Arizona. I remember piling into a Ryder truck with black interior. It was 116 and we had no air conditioning. I had a dear friend take me over who'd lived in the heat before and we had this bucket of ice and I was, I was going, I didn't know whether I would faint or throw up. I couldn't tell what was happening. But he kept saying, breathe the ice, breathe the ice, you know. And I'm breathing out of this ice, trying to stay awake. And we arrived there and it was 116 for the next I don't know how many months. I hated it. I felt like I'd talk about going to the desert. I hated it. I was absolutely dying. And I called out to God and I remember just crying in the shower. It's a good place. And I said this, I figured this would rip his heart out. I, I said, if you love me, you'll get me out of here. Anybody ever pray those babies? Yeah. I have four years later. Four years later. He didn't hear that cry. If he did, he put it on the shelf. And he said, now you start serving. You start working with them. And boy, God had to deal with the fears and the ego. All sorts of stuff. Until I finally decided to love the people the Lord brought me. I decided to feed them. I wasn't necessarily going to tell you this, but I guess I will. I had really gotten depressed. I lived for, I was, we were there over four years. I was at least three and a half of those years in almost constant depression makes it interesting to preach. I would come home and I'd lie on the bed and just ache. It became normal. One day I was lying on the bed and I was aching. And the Lord said to me, you don't want to live anymore, do you? And I said, no sir, I don't. Now this wasn't suicide. Suicide was small pickings, man. I had dealt with suicide years ago. That was... <laughs> suicide is for wimps. No. I had already deal, dealt with that issue. I knew I had to live. I knew I had children. I had a wife. I knew that this was dis disgraceful to the Lord. There was simply no, ex no way to get around that. I, suicide was out of the question. But he said, you don't want to live anymore, do you? And I said, no, sir, I don't. And then he said something that really caught me off guard. He said, you know, it's a pity 
This is a quote from what I heard in my heart. It's a pity to waste a perfectly good human being. I, I thought to myself, you know, it's like, there's another 50,000 miles on this car. He said, since you aren't enjoying it, you aren't enjoying your own life, he said, why don't you let me use what's left? Since you aren't enjoying the way it's going, why don't you simply put it at my disposal, completely abandon yourself to me, and let me use what's left. And a picture came into my mind, and this is not a, I mean, this is a terribly inappropriate picture, I know, theologically. But I saw Mickey Mouse <laughs> in Fantasia, you know, the Sorcerer's Apprentice, where he's got the hat on, the cone hat and the little broom, where he just runs around behind the sorcerer. Now, this is, that's totally a reverse image. But I, the picture that I was being presented with, will you be simply a doorkeeper in my house? I make no promises to you. I don't have any vision for you. I don't have anything else. I'll simply use you as I see fit to use you. And it may well be sweeping doors. But you're not enjoying your life. Why don't you simply put it at my disposal? I can use it. You know, I came to the place where I could finally say yes. And I meant it from a heart. I mean, I know you're supposed to say stuff like this. I know with my head that I'm supposed to die with Christ. I'm supposed to be crucified with him. I know that, and I've said it and prayed, and, oh, Lord, I'm yours. I exalt you. You're in charge, oh, God. But there was always something gripping in the middle, a drive, a pressure inside to achieve, to accomplish, to reach some state where... God or people or somebody would say I was all right. And, a little, and every time I would deal with that and the Lord would sort of call for that, something in me would say, if I let that go, I'll lose all my drive. I'll become just a flaccid pool of something. I, I'll have no more get up and go, no more energy, no more direction. I've got to hold on to that that ambition, that pressure, that drive inside has got to stay there. And yet that drive inside kept me depressed, discontent with myself, discontent with whatever God would do. I was grateful for it. I, now let me qualify something. I don't believe that I ministered out of that drive. I know the Lord and I know his voice and I would obey him. The drive was only there just enough to take any joy, any peace. I could never be content with where I was. I could never be content with what, was, with what he was doing, with what was happening, because this thing would gnaw inside and press me always. And yet I was afraid to let it be killed, lest I become somehow spiritually emasculated and become nothing. But I was at that point, and he said, would you let me take that? Would you, let, would you just serve your days? No goals, no vision, no directions, other than each day 
I'll use you as I see fit. And I said to him, yes, sir. That's enough for me. And I meant it. There is the miracle. I meant it from in here. Not from here. I meant it finally from in here. You know, God has to crucify us. Do you know you can't crucify yourself? You can get the nails in your feet. And you can get one hand up. But somebody has to put the other hand up. You can't crucify yourself. Those deep things in there that churn. Paul tells us in Colossians, the Holy Spirit circumcises our hearts. He is the one who is finally able to kill and cut away from us the flesh and the attitudes and the appetites inside. And he'd finally brought me to a place where we had the last hand. And it had been moving around. And I let him pin it and take me down. This process had been hastened on by talking to a, a, a sister at the Christmas party. This was about April. And I'd been at the uh, Christmas party for our district or our division. And I was in the buffet line moving my way by the baked beans. And the sister, this, this sister and her husband pastored the church in the next town. And she said something to me. She said, you know, I've decided that my goal in life is to live each day for Jesus. Now that's a, that's a cliché. I knew that they'd, had, they'd been there a number of years. I think it was four or five years they'd been in that town. And I think they had no more than 30 people. So my reaction, though, I nodded and went, mm-hmm. My reaction inside was, boy, is that a rationale to cover up defeat. And even as I said that, even as I heard my heart echo that, I realized there was something, something sick in there. And then something struck me deeply. As I watched her say it, I realized she meant it. That for her, it was enough now to live each day for Jesus Christ. And I realized it wasn't for me. That somehow I'd lost my disciple's heart. I had lost the love of Jesus. Didn't you and I start that way? Isn't that how we came into all of this? Did you decide, I'm going to be a busy pastor with dozens of people? A mortgage? Didn't we start out by just loving him? And wanting to serve him every day? And, and sort of tell somebody today about Jesus? And I looked at this woman and she was there again. And I wasn't. Boy, did that gnaw on me. Such a cliche and I couldn't get it out of my head. She meant it. Well, then I had the episode on the bed. And so finally I could say, yes, sir, Lord, I, I'll just serve you, follow you each day. And I said something else to him, directly related to this sister's comment to me. I said, Lord, it will be enough. It will be enough for me if I can live, if I can touch one person a day for you. I don't care how. 
if I can simply be a vessel for you to reach one life each day, then I will be at peace. That's my only goal. I don't know how you're hearing this right now. It's interesting the reactions I get when I begin to talk like this. I've often had parents run and throw their hands over their children's ears lest I somehow strip that child of goals and visions and drive. Something really strange took place. I have not had one day of depression since that moment on the bed. Not one day. Now, if any of you, I don't know how many of you understand real depression. Well, I'm not talking about a blue funk. I'm not talking about sort of being angry at somebody and tired of the stress and all of that stuff. If you know depression, you know what I'm talking about. It's a, it's a spirit. It's a deep, gut-wrenching thing that discourages you and drags you down. It's inner-directed anger. You're angry at God and you're angry at you. You're angry at the choices you've made, the decisions you've made. How did I get myself here? How did I get in this mess? What am I doing wrong? And God, why didn't you fix it? How did you let me do all that I did? I get tired. I get weary. I get overwhelmed. But I'll tell you, I can't tell you how. I, my wife says, and when wives say something like this, you know something's happened. She says, it's like you're born again, again. I have, where are we headed? I have a goal. You know what my goal is? To touch somebody for Jesus today. You know what my focus is? To train whoever he brings in the door, whoever I can reach, to disciple them for Jesus Christ. Because we've got multitudes of believers but we have very few disciples and we are at a crisis condition. America is just rotting from within and the problem is the church. You know there's 175 million people that claim church membership. 175 million members. We ought to be able to elect anything, we ought to be able to decide anything, but it's 175 million people that are, are voting the way we're voting, that are buying the videos, that are, that are watching the TV shows. It's, it's us, it's the church that's in trouble. And it, wherever you are, wherever I am, I can do that. I can disciple somebody for Jesus. Teach them the word, pray for them. Help them grow. One other thing that came along in my mind, you know the illustration of the tortoise and the hare. I had another picture come to mind. My neighbor, when we were teaching at the Bible College, we lived in Monrovia, Monrovia and my neighbor next door was a dear old saint, Howard and Esther. And in their backyard they had this old avocado tree and every so often we'd come home and there would be this sack this big grocery sack full 
of avocados sitting on our step. Now we love guacamole and all that you can do with that. Uh, and so I was awfully nice to him. Uh, actually it wasn't hard. What, he, they, were, they were great saints in the Lord. One day I was standing in his backyard and looking at this old tree which had uh, big two-by-fours propping up the branches. Uh, it had been cracked in spots, the, the trunk was gnarled, and, but so was Howard, you know, and, and a thought crossed my mind, and I said, Howard, by any chance, did you plant that tree? He said, yes, I did. And I said, well, how long ago was that? And I think he said 30-some years. And I looked at that tree, and it was dropping fruit all over the ground. It was, they were wasting more fruit than most people can use. And then I thought back on my own experience in life, dealing with fruit trees. I like to plant fruit trees. Wherever I go, I put a, I'll plant in fruit trees. In, when we were in San Diego, I planted some avocados and a peach and a little grapevine. And I'm always there just long enough to, to, to have that tr tree take, you know, and then get the first year or two of fruit. So I'm, you, always, you pick that first apple or that first peach and you take it and say, Honey, look at this. We've got a peach, huh? And you take it and you, you slice it and you, everybody gets a piece now. No, just one for you. That's right. One for you. One for you. There we go. Let's all taste and see how our tree is. And, and we'd taste that peach or we'd taste that apple or the, whatever it was. And I, I'd be there just long enough to get a little bundle of fruit from these young starting up trees. And then, of course, I'd move. I'd always pack up because we had to move. One thing that bothers me is often when I leave those fruit trees, the people after didn't take care of them. So I went back to San Diego and looked over the fence and all my trees were dead. And then I looked at Howard's avocado tree. And I realized something. What a blessing. The fruit of a mature ministry. The fruit of endurance. The fruit of patient faithfulness in one place. The fruit of just day after day after day, touching a life, touching a life, touching a life here. The accumulation of days upon days and years upon years in one place, of touching a life for Jesus. What an accumulation. Brothers and sisters, if you and I try to strive to to achieve some sort of greatness and numbers and pressure. If that thing has been birthed in you, that drive, that discontent, it is as, it is as great a legalism, as great a crushing guilt. It brings as much shame and depression and self-anger as any form of religious legalism could. We need to be delivered from focusing on that. And we need to do the job of discipling people. America needs it right now. It doesn't need a bigger audience. It needs disciples. It needs you to lovingly and me invest our lives day at a time in people.
and to see them discipled and to see them raised up. I would suggest, if particularly, I think this is a male problem, but would you allow him to at least ask him to crucify the heart and take the drive and the ambition that is fleshy? Not the love of people, not the desire for souls, not the desire to see people and many people come to Christ. That's a holy thing. But it gets intermixed inside, doesn't it? With our own needs. And I think the way you can tell is if there's depression there, if there's anger there, if there's repeated frustration with the people and frustration with God. When those things come up, something's unhealthy in the heart. And I'm not throwing stones at anybody. This was my heart. I served him faithfully. I did. I did not compromise the ministry. I, what I did, I did not do in the flesh. But the heart was entangled so that I couldn't rest and enjoy. Enjoy the process of touching people for Jesus. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.